Well, hey, good morning. Great to see you guys uh, today. Hope you're having a great morning so far. Man, I'm just digging this weather. Woo! Got the sweater, dusted it off. Um, it's just great to see everybody. Um, in case we haven't met, my name is Chris, and I'm the marriage and family pastor here at Palm Beach Community Church. And as Dr. Ray shared, we're going to wrap up uh, the series that we've called Guardrails. And, uh, and I've just had a blast learning more about uh, the guardrails that God has for us and wants to put in our lives. And Dr. Ray started us a couple weeks ago saying, you know, that, that guardrails are things on the road that protect us and direct us. And you've heard all sorts of horror stories over the last few weekends about how we've gone astray and gone over things and, and spun around and all that stuff. And we've said that God has some, some guardrails for our lives, uh, that God's heart for you and that God's heart for me is not for bad, but for good, but for great that we would have lives that are protected from calamity, that we wouldn't go over the edge, that we wouldn't get hurt, that we would have lives that are directed along his paths and that we would just experience the best in this life. That's that's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for me. And so we need some guardrails. And last week, uh, if you remember, we said that part of those guardrails, they have to be about relationships, that somehow we got to make sure we've got something in place that helps us to choose wise people to be in our inner circle. That that could just be a guardrail for choosing friends and potential mates and all that stuff, to, you know, business partners, that we don't want wise people uh, in our lives as we go forward. Well, today we're going to talk about a guardrail that we can put in place about that will help us make great choices, that will help us make like really, really good decisions as we go through life. And it made me think of, as I was thinking about this morning, it made me think of my five-year-old daughter, Kylie. Uh, Kylie has this game that she really likes to play. It's called Jenga. Anybody play Jenga ever? Yeah, yeah. It's not very complicated. (laughs) It's very simple. That's why I think a five-year-old really likes it. You got this stack of blocks, and then when it's your move, you've got to choose a block to move. And when you move it, you've got to choose the right place for it to go. Because if you make the wrong choice, what happens? It all falls down, right? Boom. And my mother-in-law, over the holidays, uh, she, was, she was with us for a while. And every day she played, she sat on the floor and played Jenga with Kylie. God bless her hours, you know, and throughout the house, you know, you just hear this echo of blocks falling onto our floors. If you make the wrong choice, it all falls apart. But if you make the right choice, you keep on going. It's kind of like our decisions, our, our choices. If you remember back in um, like general psych, back in, a, back in college, uh, there was a guy named Abraham Maslow, and he said this. I, I've never forgotten this. He said that, that the household of our lives is built by the lumber and the nails of our choices, of our decisions. That your life right now, good, bad, ugly, whatever, my life right now, good, bad, ugly, whatever, is the sum total, the sum result of my choices. The sum result of my decisions, our decisions matter. We're either building something or we're tearing something down. So that's what we're going to talk about today, a guardrail that we can, that we can use. Um, anybody ever make a bad decision? <laughs> ever? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've made a few. In fact, uh, back in November uh, around uh, Thanksgiving, it had, it had rained at our house, and I made this series of bad decisions. I'll share them with you now 
um, because it's not about pride. It's not about ego. I'll just be, be transparent, and you can, you can laugh at me. Um, it started to rain. And so, and so I, uh, I thought, well, you know what? It was a Saturday. We we're going to go eat something. We we're going to go run some errands. And so I thought, what I'll do is, because it's raining in, in farms where we live, Jupiter Farms, when it rains, your yard disappears, right? All of a sudden, it, it used to be a yard. Now it's Siggins Island, you know? There's our house out there and surrounded by water. And so it started to rain. I thought, well, you know, I'll go pick up the family. I'll drive the van uh, from the driveway uh, around through the yard to the front door and pick everybody up, right? Bad decision number one, if you're keeping track, right? So, so because I didn't want anybody to get wet, you know, chivalry's not dead. I didn't want Kim to get wet and all that because, of course, we couldn't find an umbrella anywhere in the house. And so, so I get in the van. I drive off the driveway. As soon as I get into the grass, the van just stops. I mean, you know, the front wheels are just spinning. I'm not going anywhere. So now I'm mad, you know, and like, what was I thinking? You know, whatever. So I go and I get Kim to come out and help me. And so she gets, (laughs) that wasn't a bad decision. (laughs) She's really smart. She's really good. And so, so I say, okay, here's the plan. She gets in the, she gets in the driver's seat, you know, and the, the front of the front of the van is like sunk a little bit. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get some plywood from the garage, and I'm going to put it under the front tires, and then we'll get some traction. We'll get out of there. You might consider that bad idea number two. <laughs> sure enough, we get it all set up, and I'm out there, and I'm like, okay, when I tell you go, I want you to give it a little bit of gas. And I'm going to push because I'm going to help, right? I'm going to push and we'll get this thing out. And we'll get on with our day and all that stuff. So sure enough, I'm in position and I say, okay, go. And she goes and the wheels spin and the plywood catches, right? Guess where I was standing? That would be bad decision number three. I was on the plywood. Because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get some traction there. Yeah, I go flying. I land face down in the dirt. My wife, to her shame, sitting behind the wheel. <laughs> you know, my neighbor, Mike, was out doing something in his yard. I'm sure he was thinking, I live next door to an idiot. You know, a series of bad decisions. And sometimes our bad calls, sometimes our bad decisions, you know, they end up like that, right? You make a mess. I mean, I was covered with just mud. You know, there are still ruts in our yard from November. You know, you make a mess. It's embarrassing. My neighbor saw me. My wife is laughing at me. You know, sometimes we make bad calls. You've made some bad calls yourself, right? We already established that. You've made some bad decisions. In case you wonder if you ever have, let me, let me try and help you out a little bit. Uh, here are a few things. If you've ever eaten anything that even sounds remotely like tofurkey, <laughs> that might be a questionable decision. I don't know. That might be, I don't know. If you're over the age of 12 and you own any clothing that says Bieber fever on it, <laughs> I'm thinking you might have made a bad decision. I don't know. If you've ever, like, you know, been a church and, you know, and said, hey, you know what, let's put a billboard out on 95 that says stripped, that, (laughs) well, you know, thank you, Dr. Ray. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. We were young. We were crazy. It was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You live and learn, right? You live and learn. But somehow, if, if it's true what Maslow said, and I think it is, if our lives are built by our choices, if our lives are built by our decisions, then we need to have something in place. You need to have something in place. I need to have something, some kind of a guardrail that will help me make better decisions going forward in the future. Because if we're not careful, it's not just embarrassing, right? If we're not careful, the mess isn't really minor, right? And things can fall and things, things can tumble. And I want to tell you, God has so much more for you. God has so much more for me. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and life abundantly, life to the full, life that's rich in meaning, rich in relationship, rich in purpose. So we need to make some good decisions. So today we're going to uh, look at a passage written by the Apostle Paul. It's actually written from prison. And Paul writes this. Now today we have the Bible. Well, we didn't always have it in book form, right? And so, so when Paul writes this to this church at Ephesus, it just comes as a letter. They just get a letter from Paul, right? And so uh, what would happen back then is, is a local group of people just like us would get a letter from an apostle and the, one of the leaders would stand up and he would just read the letter, you know? And so they get together. Before we look at the passage, let me just give you some backstory. He writes this letter and it is full of such encouraging stuff. It is so great. I can just imagine the leader getting everybody together. Hey, hey, we got a letter from Paul. And they're like, oh, I love Paul. Oh, man, what's, what's he got to say? What's he going to tell us today? What's Paul want us to do? That guy is awesome. You know, he's almost as good as Joyce Myers, you know? I mean, he's great. He's great. What's he say? And so the leader would start reading the letter, you know, and it's incredible. Man, you should just go home and read Ephesians today if you want to be encouraged. He just starts out talking about all that Jesus has done, all that Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. He's like, man, let me just tell you, church, God loved you so much. His son came for you. Now he wants to fill you with his spirit. He wants to work in you. He has given you a relationship with a heavenly father. Oh my gosh, all the stuff God has done for you. Wow. Anyone, no matter what your past, no matter what your history is, anyone can have their slate wiped clean, wrongs forgiven, lives restored, all because of how good our heavenly father is and all what he did in Jesus Christ. Man, be blessed. Chapter two, he says, you know what? You're... You're like God's masterpiece. And you got to know these guys were like going, oh, I told you this guy was good. Man, man, we rock. Look at all that God has done for us. And then right around in our chapter four of the book of Ephesians, the tone starts to shift. The, the focus starts to shift a little bit. And Paul begins to say, okay, in light of all that God has done for you, that he's forgiven you, that he has built a bridge through Christ, that now he wants to work in your lives. Now that you're like his masterpiece, his poetry, in light of all that he has done, that he initiated, all of his grace that you didn't deserve, that he just lavished on you, in light of all that, you ought to live differently. And I'm sure somebody was like, what was the last part? What did you say there? <laughs> you had me until that part. Because then he says, hey, if you've been stealing, stop stealing. Just don't do that. If you've been lying, stop lying. Don't do that anymore. And he starts to talk about how, how we should make choices, how we should make decisions 
that show the world around us the family resemblance between us and our Heavenly Father. And he says, you need to act differently because of what God has done. You need to live differently because of what God has done. You need to make better choices, different choices. And I'm sure some of the guys are like, oh, man. (laughs) I hate that guy. (laughs) And he just goes on and on and on. And in chapter 5, I put this in your outline, chapter 5, verse 1, he kind of culminates the whole deal. And he says this. You can read it in your outline or up on the screen. It says, Paul says, hey, in light of everything God has done, imitate God. I think I would have been like, okay, I'm out. Because I know me. And I ain't that good. My wife knows me. My kids know me. They know that, that I can't really imitate God. I don't know how to do that. I know my struggles. I know my challenges. I know what I wrestle with. Paul, how in the world can I do that? He says, look, imitate God, therefore, in light of everything that, that we just said, and everything you do, because you are his dear children. And I've just got to believe that some of the folks listening to that letter were like, well, how? How can we imitate God? And Paul, being a great writer, Paul, being a great teacher, does what great writers and great teachers do. He anticipates their objections. He knows that when he lays that on them, they're going to freak out a little bit. They're going to go, Paul, really? Really? You want me to imitate God? Really? How? And so Paul answers their question in verse 15. Follow along with me. He says this. He says, so, in other words, in light of all that, in light of the fact that you need to imitate God, in light of the fact that you need to make better choices, different types of decisions with your life, so be careful how you live. And the Greek literally says, be careful where you walk. Now, in our yard, there are two hazards, right? You've got, you've got fire ant piles, and then you've got other piles that are gifts from my dog, Casey. There are hazards. You need to watch where you walk. You need to watch how you walk. Paul says, be careful. Be careful how you walk. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. And if you remember from last week, fools are people who, and we all act foolish at different times, we just fail to connect the dots. That somehow, what I do today, we can't see the connection between today and tomorrow. Have you ever been there? It was just so fun. Go for it. My nine-year-old Gabe, uh, Friday night, we had some people at the house, and at the end of the night, it was like midnight before everybody was gone, and Gabe came up to me, and he said, he said, I ate like five cupcakes, because you know what? Tomorrow's not going to come. It doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want to. I remember the message. He was here last week. He was just joking with me. Even he gets it. There are consequences. Don't live like fools. He goes on to say, but live like those who are wise. Understand that choices today affect tomorrow. That's just a law of life. So live like somebody who understands that. He goes on, he says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity to choose, to make a decision. Man, don't live like fools, but be wise. In verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And I think some of the folks listening to to that letter being read were like, what do you mean understand? How? how?" He doesn't say discover like it's a mystery. You know, I've got to figure out what God wants me to do. 
you know? He doesn't even say obey. He says understand, and I think Paul just has the assumption that God's already given us everything we need, every tool we need to understand what he wants us to do in almost any situation. But we're masters of self-deception. Man, I'm the king. I can rationalize any bad choice. (laughs) Do you know anybody like that? I mean, beside me, right? I can make excuses for any bad choice I make. And I think Paul understands that. And so he says, okay, okay, wake up. Face up to what God really wants you to do. Understand. You can understand. It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. You just got to get past your self-deception and you'll understand. And then he gets real specific. He goes, "Um, by the way, don't be drunk with wine. And right now he's losing some of his audience, right? (laughs) They're like, he's meddling now. You know, that's my business. You know, and they're, they're walking away. He's like, don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. I have a friend, and last week and, uh, we were talking, and, and she'd been through a really, really bitter divorce, and I couldn't resist asking. I was like, why did you marry that guy to begin with? I just couldn't resist. You know, maybe it wasn't the right question to ask, but I was like, come on. She's like, well, we were drinking a lot. Really? You must have been drinking a whole lot. I mean, because the, the, the baggage from all that, man, it, it, it could ruin your life. You know, in almost two decades of pastoring and counseling, uh, I have yet to see the couple that was in crisis, the family that was in crisis, the guy who was in trouble, the gal who was in trouble, who, who said this, you know what, things were going really, really bad, it was really getting dark, and then we started drinking a lot and everything got better. I don't know those people. Maybe you know those people. I have yet to hear that as the end of the story. So Paul knows this. He's like, look, don't do it. Don't get drunk. It will ruin your life. Instead, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And all he means there is be, be influenced by the Holy Spirit. God is so much for you. Oh, God wants a rich, full life for you. Let him influence you. And by the way, you can understand what he wants you to do. Paul assumes that you and I can really, really know what God wants us to do in any given situation. I think the, the guardrail, I think the takeaway from that verse is don't live like fools, but like those who are what? Wise. Here's the guardrail. Go through life asking the question, what is the wise thing to do? And you say, Chris, really? That's it? (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Because that simple question cuts through the layers of rationalization. It cuts through the layers of deception. It holds up the mirror. And now I'm forced with, okay, what's the wise thing to do? And Paul's assumption is, well, if if you really want to know, you'll know what the wise thing to do is. Too often, we just don't want to do it because we think we're the exception to the rule. We think what we, di- what we do won't, won't matter. We're just masters at deception. But when we face up to it, when we wake up, Paul says, you can understand what God wants you to do. What's the wise thing to do? My mother um, smoked cigarettes a lot from when she was 14, gosh, probably into her 50s. You know, as a little boy, this is how old I am. And when I was a little boy, she would send me to the corner store to buy cigarettes for Virginia Slims, menthols, right? Sometimes she would ask me to buy other things that were more embarrassing. I'm sure I'm not scarred in any way. For years, 
She would smoke, and she would try and quit. She would do her best. She would, like, join a program. She'd join a group. She would try hypnosis. I mean, anything. And then one day, uh, probably in her 50s, if I remember correct, she goes to the doctor for, like, a regular visit, and apparently whatever the doctor said was, like, wake up, because she walked out of that office. She never smoked again. Cold turkey. And the best the family can figure out is the doctor said, um, you're going to die. You need, to, you need to change. Now, was that the first time she'd ever heard that smoking was not great for your health? No. It wasn't new information, but she was forced to cut through the layers of rationalization, of self-deception, and realize, I have to make a wise decision. And she did. I'm so proud of her. Paul says, understand what the Lord wants you to do. It's not beyond your reach. It's not beyond your grasp. You just got to ask the right question. What's the wise thing to do? So let me give you a few dimensions to kind of help you unpack this. This helps me unpack this. Uh, I'm telling you, I read this about eight years ago. I've used this tool uh, in counseling. I've used it personally. I've used it with my kids at different times. What's the wise thing to do? Here's the first dimension. You got to look back. What's, What's the wise thing to do based on my past experience? What's the wise thing for me to do right now personally, relationally, financially, spiritually, based on my own history, based on what I know, based on how I've shown up in the past, based on how that person has acted in the past? What's the wise thing for me to do now that I have this choice to make? When I was uh, in college, my first year, I was growing spiritually, reading the Bible a lot, praying a lot, had, had great wise people around me at college in another state. And I got in my mind that when I go home on break, I'm going to reconnect with my old friends from high school. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, I'm going to save them. Oh, I was really popular. I'm, <laughs> I, I am going to help them understand how much God loves them and how much God wants to do in their lives. And so that's what I tried to do. And it wasn't very long into that when I come home for a break that I realized, man, I, I'm just falling back into the same old patterns. I'm falling back into the same old behaviors, the same old habits that I left behind so long ago. And I had to come to a point, you know what, based on my history, based on my struggles, based on my habits, you know, God's going to have to use somebody else to reach them because I, I can't do it. Based on your history, based on your past experience, what's the wise thing to do? I had a friend who, a few years back, he'd been married like four times. Four times. Married, divorced. You know, and he was considering getting married a fifth time. And I said, you know, are you sure? Should you maybe reconsider? Because it hasn't worked out well the first four times. And then I said, do you think that maybe you play a part in that? And he got so mad. You know, the audacity that I would, that I would think that maybe he had, a, he had a problem with him. I'm thinking the common denominator is you, buddy. <laughs> maybe you need to pause and just take a break and work on yourself. Based on your past experience, what's the wise thing to do? Personally, professionally, spiritually. You know, if every time you're around those people, you fall into the same habits, maybe you need to say no to that Super Bowl invitation, that Super Bowl party, right? I mean, if you always end up feeling guilt and regret 
after being with that person. Maybe you need to say no to that invitation. Maybe you need to make a different choice. Paul would say, wake up. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. What's the wise thing to do based on your past experience? But then the second dimension is, what's going on right now? What's the wise thing to do based on not just your past experience, but on your present circumstances, on your current situation? When you look around, what's the wise thing to do right now? Financially, spiritually, relationally, professionally. What's the wise thing to do? And I think what what this does, it makes us realize that life is full of seasons, right? Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, way back in the Old Testament, said that there's a time for everything, there's a season for everything under the sun. In other words, different seasons call for different things, different options, sometimes different limitations. And part of wisdom is understanding, okay, what season am I in right now? And then acting appropriately, because when we don't, when we get that confused, we make bad decisions. You know, I'm an introvert. I love, I love long periods of time alone, you know, and, and for the longest time, for most of my life, I would just get up and go away. I would just get up and go out in my boat and fish alone. I just like being alone, you know. That was a season, and then I got married, and that, that doesn't work too well. <laughs> when you just get up and go, see ya. <laughs> That's a little weird, you know. What season are you in? A good buddy of mine had this dream. He wanted to be a professional fisherman. You know, nothing wrong with that dream. Great dream, you know. And so he got on this tournament circuit. And so every weekend he was gone. Awesome. The only problem was the dream didn't really fit the season of life he was in. Because he had a couple of kids and a wife at home who were going, where are you? What are you doing? And his comeback was, well, you just aren't supporting my dream. Great dream, wrong season. Every season has its opportunities. Every season has its limitations. Sometimes love and wisdom limits your lifestyle. The Apostle Paul said, look, I wish everybody was single like me. Because if you're single, man, you can just work for the Lord, do everything. Man, high capacity, just go for it. He says, but if you're married, your concern is for your spouse. You want to honor God, you honor her, you honor him. That blesses your heavenly father. Understand your season. Years ago, I worked with a guy, brilliant, bright guy in his 20s, single, unattached, worked like 60, 70 hours every week, and getting his MBA, just killing it. And I remember saying to him, you're awesome. Like, I, man, you are, you are just amazing. I mean, I, where do you get that horsepower? And he's like, look, I'm working right now like this. I'm killing myself now so that when I have a family one day, I won't have to. And I remember thinking, you are a wise guy. You're wiser than me. You know, you you know more than I do. Way to go. He understood, I'm in a season where I can do this. This is my opportunity. My father-in-law used to say, make hay while the sun shines. There'll be different joys, different riches, different opportunities down the road in a different season. This won't be one of them. Look around. What season are you in? If you're broke, maybe you don't need to go car shopping today, right? Maybe you don't need to walk in and sign and drive because I don't know if you figure this out, but the payments eventually come. Like the bank wants their money. I've learned this. They will call you. 
It's astounding how that works. They want you to pay for the car. (laughs) What season are you in? Look around. Options you had before you might not have now, but you have different options. I stopped walking away to go fish alone so that I could be home and experience incredible joys of, of kids. And now we fish together. I drove home the other day, and, and as I was pulling in, my son Caleb, my teenager, was walking out, backpack, earbuds in, fishing rod. I thought, I remember that. That is awesome. You go. I was so proud. You just go and just enjoy, you know, different seasons. We look back based on your past experience. And what's the wise thing to do with that invitation? What's the wise thing to do with that opportunity? What's the wise thing to do with that relationship? So many people I counsel, when I hear their stories, they go from relationship to relationship to relationship. They start everyone the same. They meet in the same way. They, they act the same during the relationship. And then they act surprised when that relationship ends the same way they all have ended. Based on your past experience, what's the wise thing? Based on your season in life, what's the wise thing to do? Based on your present circumstances. And finally, we need to look forward. And based on your future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do with that person? What's the wise thing to do with your money? What's the wise thing to do with your faith? Based on your future hopes and dreams. You know, one of the privileges I've had, again, almost two decades now um, of being a pastor and, and counseling and doing all sorts of stuff with, with folks, it's, it's a privilege in so many ways. Uh, one of the things that I've gotten to do is spend countless hours in hospital rooms. And a lot of times I've spent, I've spent time with people who are on their deathbed. And when you are on your deathbed, You have, this is what I've learned, you have crystal clarity about what matters in life. And the layers of rationalization and self-deception and fooling yourself, they are stripped away. When everything is taken away and you're there and you don't know how much time you have left, your priorities just bubble to the surface. And you know what? You know what I've learned from listening to these men and women over down through the years? You know what matters most? relationships. Always. I've never heard anybody say anything about, I wish, I wish I would have done this with my career. I wish I could have fished more, which I love to fish. That's always surprising to me. <laughs> you know, I wish I could have fished more. I wish I could have done this more. It's always about some relationship. And I got to tell you, it's, it's so awesome to hear somebody who has faith in Christ. And man, they just know, hey, this isn't the end. And they have peace. And they go, you know, I've walked with the Lord. I have peace. I have a relationship with God. All that stuff Paul said in the beginning of Ephesians. Man, I've experienced that. He made me new. I've grown in that relationship. And I know that when I step out of this, I have an eternity with the Heavenly Father face to face. And man, there's such peace. And the folks who've invested well in their relationships with people, man, the room is full of people. And there's tears, but they're, they're tears of sadness because there's so much love and it's just hard to say goodbye. They've invested so well. And then there are the other people, far more than I care to count, who aren't sure about their relationship with God and they're scared, scared. What's going to happen? What am I going to do? 
And when they talk about their relationships, it is nothing but regret. And they're the ones who have tears. When you talk about your future hopes and dreams, in case I'm confused, in case you get confused about what really matters, people in their deathbeds bring to clarity, bring to the forefront. It's all about relationships. So let me ask you, Think about the people closest to you. What is the wise thing to do based on your future hopes and dreams for those people, for those relationships, for your kids? I have, I have hopes and dreams of how of the relationship I'll have with my kids when they're grown and gone. I know you do too. What, what, are, you, what are your hopes and dreams about your marriage down the road? Because I promise you, That's what really matters. What are your hopes and dreams with the people in your life? What kind of relationships do you want? What can you do today to start making deposits into those relationships? One of my greatest life lessons is that you can't cram for relationships. You can't cram. I see people all the time say, hey, I've been gone all all year, but we're going to have this month-long vacation in the Bahamas. It's going to rock, and somehow I'll make up for all that time away. It never happens, ever ever. Think about the people you love most in the world. What are your future hopes and dreams for them, for your kids, your grandkids, your friends? And what do you need to do now to ensure that that's great? When, when, counsel, when, when couples come to me for counseling, for, for marriage prep stuff, I always say, what kind of marriage do you want? Oh, great. Da, da, da. We talk about all the parts of marriage. And I say, hey, listen, if you want intimacy, one day with this person that you're going to like walk down the aisle with, if you want an awesome relationship, closeness, uh, a great intimate uh, relationship, a great intimate life, then you need to choose like sexual purity right now. Wherever you are in your dating relationship, you need to stop and choose purity because that's going to pave the path to intimacy later every single time. Usually the guy leans forward and I can, I can hear his thoughts. I hate you. I hate you. Bad pastor. Bad pastor. But it's true. Get out of today and look forward to the future. What kind of relationships do you want? Because the lesson of the deathbed is that's all that matters. When everything else is gone, that's it. So what do you want? Paul says, wake up. I would say this morning is a wake-up call. If Paul were standing here, he would say, wake up. This is your wake-up call. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. And ask the question, Based on, my, based on my history, based on my past experience, based on my, my present uh, circumstances, based on my future hopes and dreams, that, that future that I want so desperately, what is the wise thing to do? And then have the courage to do it. Have the courage to do it. So God can look at you and say, man, you're my masterpiece. The choices you made were so wise. They were so good. You're my masterpiece. Way to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Paul. <laughs> thank you for his, his love and his courage to write a letter uh, that would challenge us, that would challenge us to live not just to survive or to exist, but to live a life of limited regret, to live lives that honor you and reflect you so that when people look at us, they go, man, they look like their Heavenly Father. Their choices are so wise. They're so good. 
Right now, I just want to ask you, I, I want you to think about that opportunity that you have today. I want you to think about that relationship that you've been kind of dancing around with, that temptation that you've been flirting with. And I want you to ask, not how far can I go and, and not be too far? How close to sin can I go without sinning? But instead, I want to ask you to say, okay, what's the wise thing for me to do right now? You know, you know what's happening in your life right now. Take a second. What's the wise thing for you to do? See the people's faces based on your past, your present, and your future hopes and dreams. Spirit, just have your way in us, as Paul said. Fill us, influence us, give us the courage to make a wise call today. Some of you need to break up. Some of you need to make a phone call. Some of you need to get out of that deal. Some of you need to make the wisest decision of all, which is coming to Christ. To cut through the layers of self-deception that somehow you can work your way and be good enough that God would approve. Christ has already done everything for you. Would you give your life to him this morning? Would you say, would you say Father, I accept the gift of your son. I accept the gift of forgiveness this morning. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. And help me to walk wisely from this point on with you. Father, thank you for not leaving us alone, but for caring enough to coach us and encourage us and lead us. Help us to have the faith and the courage to make wise decisions today. In Jesus' name, amen.